Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland, and together, alongside my nursing students, I bring together my friends and colleagues in an effort to answer the questions, provide mentorship, and oftentimes help other professional nurses along the way. Hope you enjoy these episodes. sneezing so if he barks hey whatever it's cool um but Anne, i i have like literally this this podcast episode has um flourished out of nowhere essentially because i had nothing planned this week and then reached out on facebook and was like yes let's do this and i'm like what what time she goes 1 p.m okay all right we're gonna get excited here um and has a lot to share i've known Anne for i think three-ish years yeah um, we met at an essential oils nurses conference out in Salt Lake City, Utah, where we both hopped on a plane one time, and we, we weren't on the same flight, mind you, but we hopped on this plane without knowing if this conference was real, if this conference was going to have people, and took a large jump and a large risk in doing so. And I think that I speak for everyone that attended that conference as a speaker, that we've all become this like group of people that are just so passionate about things, and we never really knew each other. And then now here we are. Um, so Anne has ha- has a lot of unique stories to share. Anne lives in Michigan, by the way. So this is not someone that I am even remotely close to. Like I can't even go next door, um, which is which is really neat. So all of my podcast guests have been people that I have like worked with directly, I've previously worked with, etc. And I've never worked with. So I'm excited for everybody to learn from Anne. She's smiling and laughing. This is so true. Um, but I'm excited to learn from Anne because I think that she has so much to share. We talked briefly on uh, Messenger about different themes that we wanted to bring up. And, like, we shared so many common things I think are just so relevant to student nurses. Um, so without further ado, and just describe briefly, you know, what your original background was prior to going to nursing school. Yeah. Uh so coming out of high school, I was, I was, uh, I had good grades and, and I kind of had a lot of different options and I actually did uh, a little bit of sports medicine in, so cool. uh, in high school. And, and that was kind of born out of the fact that I was a swimmer. And when you're a swimmer, a, a, a nice summer job is being a lifeguard. And so as a lifeguard, I was always, uh, looking at if something ever happened that was beyond what I could take care of. I would call the paramedics and, oh my goodness, what would they do, right? So that kind of sparked my love for medicine of just uh, leading, teaching, teaching some lessons, things like that. And after I graduated high school, a lot of people said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I, I think I want to try to be a doctor. I, I, think, I think I'm going to go all the way to the top. And they said, you should, you should be a nurse. You should be a nurse. And my response to them always was, I have no interest in nursing because nurses just take orders. And I'm not interested in taking orders from anyone. Thank you very much. But but I'll tell you, it's because I there was no nurses in my family. There was no experience that I had firsthand with nurses. And so I had an idea of what nurses did, but I didn't know for sure. I, I, I didn't have any firsthand experience. Um, so went to, went to school, did really great in some classes, but... Um, failed organic chemistry. I actually pulled my transcript four times and that was the end of me ever going to med school. Uh, I, I begged to get a passing grade. 
promising my my professor I would never apply to med school. I wouldn't take the MCATs, anything like that. But just please let me graduate because my mom is breathing down my neck here. So then I graduate and and I'm still working as a paramedic at that point. I had kind of fallen into that job accidentally because um, I was initially going for sports medicine. That didn't pan out. And so I'm working as a paramedic. And, and my friends are telling me, you, you really need an adult job, though. I mean, as, as great as being a paramedic is, it's a great career if you work for a municipality. If you work for a private company, it is not a good career. So, uh, so it, was, it was going to be quick for me to go back to nursing school. And I, and I walked into nursing school mad because I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be a nurse. But I need a job. I need a real job. And so... Um, so one of the things that happened while I was in nursing school, still working as a paramedic was I, we were sent on a call for a woman in labor. And these are things that, that you expect are nowhere near the actual giving birth process. You drive there, you expect to just take this woman up to labor and delivery. Um, so we get there and she is sitting on the toilet which which is never a good sign because you know that they're Someone's about happen. to give birth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um and so we get her on the stretcher, which was this is the first time I'd ever experienced anything like this. And frankly, I was terrified. I mean, I can go into a gunshot wound, I can go into a car accident, I can go into any sort of major significant issue, but you want to talk about the normal process of giving birth. I don't want anything to do with it. Nope. And uh, so we get her on the stretcher and, um, and, and she proceeds to give birth in the living room on our stretcher, which if you know anything about giving birth, it means there is now amniotic fluid everywhere. So, uh, and, and I, I'll tell you, my role in this whole thing was basically to stand there with my mouth wide open, horrified, praying, praying, right? <laughs> What else not, you not much use, right? This yeah. is what I get paid for. Um, so, so we get her to, we, we wheel the stretcher out to the ambulance. And back in those days, you had to like lift the stretcher up and then drop it down to get the wheels up, things like this. Well, not at all paying attention to what's going on. I ended up with amniotic fluid all over me from like the chest down. Okay. So here we are, we get to the hospital, we drop her off. They're so thrilled that the baby is warm, which now I know is a good thing, right? That was kind of by chance. Um, and, and they're like, so what happened to you? <laughs> I also give birth, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. But, but here's what happens is I, I, at that point, decided I never wanted to be in that position and scared again. Yeah. So when I graduated from nursing school, so for me, it was like this challenge. I, I want to master this whole not being afraid of women giving birth thing. So when, when I graduated, um, there was a position open in the neonatal ICU. And, oh. and, and now all of a sudden, I had this desire to learn, this desire to um, not be afraid of this anymore. And, uh, and so there I was in the neonatal ICU. And I spent 12 years there and I absolutely loved it. But one of the things that I'm excited to talk to you about today is, is, is what it looks like to be a nurse 
who does what nurses do and and care deeply mm. and also find that line that you really shouldn't cross because you do need to go home you yeah. do need to not carry everything yeah. with you mm. um there's I, I think there's an appropriate size emotional backpack that we carry as a nurse yeah but there's also a threshold where that gets too heavy yes um so so in the neonatal icu people always say oh my goodness that must be so sad and the funny thing is is it's not no it's it's not it's I, not sad i never worked in a neonatal icu but i've been like i visited there before to see what it was like it's not sad it's it's very <laughs> unique and it's very empowering to see babies like so little and so precious just just live and yeah. the skill of those nurses is so unbelievable i'm like i could not put a iv in the little tiny vein that you know what i mean i'm just like uh, nope like they put like scalp ivs in i'm like whoa <laughs> you guys are nuts but it's yeah it's it's not at all sad no and i think that that the universality of nursing is the fact that you show up to work and if you're good, you wear your heart on your sleeve. And if you're really great, you you cry when things are sad. Yeah. You celebrate when things are so happy. Yes. When your when your walls are so high that you no longer choose to do those things, then then you <laughs> need to evaluate things because yeah. because in every nursing role, no matter where you are. The point is to um, connect emotionally with someone. And in the neonatal ICU, it's not necessarily the baby. It's the parents. Mm -hmm. It's the grandparents. It's the sibling, right? But then that other, where nursing gets unique and where you get to choose is, is the other pieces, right? So in the neonatal ICU, it, it is the scalp IVs, right? Yeah. In, in psych nursing, it's more of the psychology of of dealing with people and and so you get to take what's universal and then you get to take what's great about you what is what's what, what are your strengths what are the things you enjoy and and you get to find your niche in nursing so um so i eventually after after 12 years in the neonatal icu i i shifted into an educator role and partially because i love to teach i've, I've always loved to teach it's something that um, I'm really good at, and it's something that I just kind of wanted to, again, see see how I would do at, and I really, really enjoyed that, um, and then and then my, my career has shifted into more of a holistic role, and, and I do nursing in a different way now, and people say to me, uh, don't you miss being a nurse, <laughs> and, and, I, and I don't miss being a nurse. I'm still a nurse. I, right. I teach people about gut, the gut-brain connection, and I teach people more about their emotions, when somebody comes to me and says, uh, I live in pain every single day, and oh, by the way, I have a history of, um, of childhood sexual abuse, I help them understand that we, th they're all connected, right? Yeah. They're, they're all connected. Yep. And so recently, um, I've been given the opportunity to um, – very, I think, very accidentally, get back into get back into nursing with quotation marks, uh, as people traditionally will view it. And I go once a week. I spend thirty minutes with a a, 
a woman from Rwanda. She is a refugee. Her her story is uh, astounding and heartbreaking. And my job is to go in once a week and make sure that her medications are put in a med box, like a like a daily pill box, and also uh, report the blood sugars from her meter. Okay, so so this is my clinical role. So last week, I my my peonies in my yard happened to come out. They're beautiful, and I firmly believe that my neighbor shouldn't be the only person to enjoy these. Sure. So I I cut some peonies, and where I would normally take them into school to give to my kid's teacher, but that's not an option right now. Um, I put them in a vase, and I brought them with me, right? And yeah. I showed up to this woman's apartment, and she lives in she lives in government housing. It is it is small, it is hot, it is smelly. And I showed up with these flowers and because we don't speak the same language and there is no interpretation services, it mm. took me about five minutes for me to convince her that they were actually for her, that I don't just walk around with a vase <laughs> of flowers wherever I go all day long. I was bringing them for her. Yeah. And, 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 and I thought this, this is nursing, right? Yeah. The, the blood sugars. The, the, so so if, if we talk about the, the two pieces of nursing, the, the part where you're emotionally connecting that you have to do and no matter what role you're in, and the piece where the skills are involved, the skills here is what I'm hired for, right? Yes. But as a nurse, showing up with flowers, that that's what matters. It, that's it, what matters to her. Yeah. Because the blood sugars and 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 the meds and the vitals that matters to her doctor that's the information that her doctor needs but what does she need from me she doesn't need me bothering her once a week invading her personal space messing with her medications but if i can show up and 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 communicate to her without words in this case yeah that, that she is valuable that she is special that she matters right? That's what we get to do. So it's so important. There's such a, such a simple thing. Like I, I tell my students all the time that ICU nursing, that, that's where I teach primarily, is all about the little things. And, and in, in a unit, as, a, as opposed to maybe perhaps a home, in a unit, it's all the quote unquote annoying little things that you have to get really good at. And it's very tasky. It can seem it can seem very tasky, but if you get really good at the annoying little things, those things become just second nature. And then you get to focus on the other things that matter to the patient, right? Like flowers, like giving my male patients and those patients that identify as male a shave. Like that is, I love. I can't tell you how much I love doing that. I watch YouTube videos on how to do it. <laughs> I'm one of those YouTube professionals on like shaving a face right now, like getting a hot towel to shave. I love it. It's great. I call it spa time. Um, but those things, even, so I work in a stroke unit and even the patients that are most confused and most agitated and things like that really enjoy the simple thing as a face shave. Yeah. It is crazy how much their demeanor if there's not something else that's really going on, I should say, yeah. pretty warned people about stroke patients and neuroscience patients, but you know, that they just kind of like just relax and I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's just the simple fact of taking care of them, but that is, mm -hmm. that is the basis of, of care for nursing, right? It's, it is the simple things. And really you sit at home with 
like getting to know the individual human as opposed to getting to know a subgroup. That's yeah. I mean that's like huge, right? Like getting to know each person as an individual is so huge instead of getting to know the person as a subgroup, as a you know, statistic as a whatever. And that is so, so, so important. I think that was such a great, a great way to really segue into what you've done. You know, like it's like I couldn't really imagine having to do that. I only had like a small amount of home nursing when I was in nursing school. And it was it wasn't, you know, what you're doing. Um so I went to nursing school Westchester, which would be Surfchester County. The thing that I really loved um was my community clinical and we actually went to a mushroom farm in Kenneth Square and learned how Hispanics really worked and what their culture was like and that it's really different from what people think they do. There's there's like for instance there are farms in Kenneth Square that grow mushrooms. So this was like 10 plus years ago now. So it could it could have changed, I don't know. But that time was the, the farmers worked at the farm, and they were all from the same town in Mexico, the same part, and they were all probably the same family. And they made money at these farms to send back to their family in Mexico because it was so poor. So they were the ones providing for their families, and they still had money to, to spend for themselves and live, but they also lived on the mushroom farm and provided for their country, basically, because the mushrooms fell all, all over the United States from there. But that was really touching to me because we don't really talk about, you know, what culture is and what that means to somebody and, and how it kind of behaves in a specific area as opposed to another area and as opposed to, like, the whole country, basically. Um, so that, that was a really eye-opening experience for me. So so you said you spent, like, 12, 12 years, 12, 13 years? Where is it? 12 mm -hmm. years at the bedside with little yeah. me. Yeah. And I can't imagine the, the emotional toll. Um, that might have taken. And you briefly mentioned how nurses carry an, an emotional backpack, which is so true. I think I think every nurse does, right? Like I, like, <laughs> I, don't really, I think I carry like a fanny pack. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I don't necessarily carry a huge backpack. I kind of like have learned to just let things go. But I do try to tell my students that you do need to learn how to just leave things at work, mm. and and as as harsh as this, going, is, as this is going to sound, not care anymore. And I don't mean that you don't care. I mean that you can't care about things that you can't control. And that for nurses and nursing students doesn't necessarily hit home until they really get a, their, their full-time job in and, and really get down in, into it. Um, so what, what were some of the more emotional times that you had to deal with in, in, in that neonatal environment? <clears throat> so I think... Um, I think in terms of talking about the backpack and, and when you say emotional times, I, we all need to recognize that, that those can fall into the both good and bad category, right? It's not just the sad, traumatic, awful things that we carry. It's, right. it's, it's the celebrations and, um, it, it, it's, it's, I'll tell you, okay, I've been away from the bedside for six years. Mm -hmm. Every Christmas, I get Christmas cards. That's awesome. And 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 plenty of Christmas cards where my kids are like, now who are these people again? Um, and and so it's it's all of the, it's all of the people who 
tell you that what you did mattered yeah. that can make that backpack lighter, right? Yes. So so yes. just acknowledge the balance of all the times that you feel like you couldn't do enough have to be balanced by all the times that what you did meant so much more than what you ever will understand. Yeah. So, I, so let's yep. balance that out. Mm -hmm. Um. So. So, so one of the things that's memorable, I, I, I'm going to go with two things. Okay. So about a, a, about a year, a uh, year, two years after I started, I guess it was about a year after I started, um, my, my sister-in-law was pregnant with the first grandchildren in the family and she was having twins. And, um, and I got a phone call that, that something went wrong. The twins are being delivered three hours north of us at a small regional hospital and uh they were 24 weekers which we know that 23 is viability sometimes we can push it to a little under 23 but not necessarily successfully and um and so they were going to be transported down to us because we were uh one of two major health systems that neonatal icu systems in the state and so they came down to us and um, and and one of the nurses, because I was so young and so inexperienced, and this was my brother, and, and remind you, I am the big sister. And so, uh, and when you're, siblings have, siblings have relationships and, and, and you are siblings, you're not necessarily responsible for one each other's life, especially the life of a child. So. Anyway, I was actually given the option to take care of them. And the advice that I was given by a very, very uh, wise nurse was um, you get to choose to be the aunt or the nurse, but you're yeah. not going to get to get both. No. And so uh, so that was very wise. So I was able to handpick some really wonderful nurses that I trust to care for these girls for months because that's what happens. And they are now 16. Wow. And um and and there have been times when we have gotten together in the summer and um and and they have said to me tell me tell me the story of when i was born and i get to tell them from so from awesome. a right from a different perspective from a perspective of someone who has the clinical knowledge but for someone who also loves them deeply right yeah and and little do i know that as i'm telling them the story their mom is is within earshot totally crying because for her it's reliving the trauma of the whole yeah. thing yeah and so it's so bittersweet but um but but that that is that is to you think about being having the honor of being with people during their most vulnerable most precious moments and then when it gets to be your family that's that's a gift a huge gift so anyway um so fast forward several years and um and i was at a time in my career where i was working weekends i had two little kids i was working weekends and um interestingly enough from the same city that my brother and sister-in-law de uh, delivered their children we get a transfer down of a woman a baby but this woman um she and her husband have been trying to have kids for 16 years wow and, and have never been successful. And she was doing Weight Watchers, lost 100 pounds, thought that she was having uh, kidney stones. 
Okay. Went into the bath and to her shock, delivered a baby. Didn't know she was pregnant. Did not know because she was losing a hundred pounds and her whole body was all in chaos and things were happening that were new to her anyway. Right. Um, and so her husband calls 911. They're able to talk him through keeping this, you know, 15 ounce baby alive. We yeah. don't even know how old the baby is. Um, probably under 23 weeks, just by looking at the skin and every development of other things. And um, so, so the baby comes down to us in an ambulance, which again, completely miraculous that this baby can come to us in a three-hour ride on an ambulance. And so I got report walking in on a Saturday morning and they said, there's no way this baby is going to live. So your job is just to help the parents um, bond with this baby until it dies, mm. which is, which is a story that you sometimes hear. Right. And, yeah. and that's okay. I can do that. I know how to do that. And so at that point, my patient was much more the page, the parents, because they are just completely in shock because not only are they in shock that their baby is sick? They're in shock that they have a baby. Right. And it's not a right. kid's show. Right. Right. Exactly. So so my job was to help these parents connect with this baby in any way possible and in every meaningful way I could before this baby died. So walk in the next day. The baby's still there. We kind of do the whole dance again. Right. Um, well, I, I uh, come back the next weekend expecting a completely different assignment. By this time, I now have found out that I am pregnant with my third kid, which is a surprise to me. So, um, so, so this baby, this little girl is still there that weekend and the next weekend and the next weekend and the next weekend. And, and, and my pregnancy grows along with my relationship with this family. And um, because one of the things we do in the neonatal neonatal ICU is primary nursing, which means every time you work, you take care of the same baby so that you learn how to advocate really well for this family. Right. And so, um, so we get to uh, two weeks before I am due to deliver. So this baby is now, you know, eight, nine, 10 pounds and, and has been there for eight months and, um, and we have a really great relationship and they're so excited for me, right? And, um, and, and I get a phone call while I am getting my hair cut. Hey, um, hey, Cadence, Cadence is, it, it has died. You need to come in. And so she had developed ventilator associated pneumonia mm. because she was uh, trached and vent dependent and like that right? Just like that. And so I walk in and, you know, we, we all grieve together because this is, um, you know, certainly part of my life after all of these weekends. And, um, and so then the question is, do you go to the funeral? Right. How many funerals have you been to? Personally, none. Uh, Silly because they are usually actually pretty far away. Okay. And also, we don't bond with the family, like at least at least in my professional practice. I know some nurses that have bonded with families before, and have gone. Uh, there's been times when they won't even share information like that with us, so we so we typically don't go. But we've had some like there was one time that I was working that I wish I could have gone. Mm-hmm. That was a couple years ago, and and that was that was really hard. 
for the entire unit and honestly myself as well. That's when I, that's when I started to, to really get back into mindfulness, stress reduction, hmm. meditation, and like all those things again, because I felt myself in an internal conflict with so many things. I had a, I had a coworker pass away. I had, we had a lot of things going on with our unit with death and it was just an internal conflict that, that everyone felt. We had, we had nurses leave our unit too. So there was a, it was a huge stretch of time, I'm not trying to get off topic here, but of that internal conflict that I ended up working during this particular funeral that I would have loved to have been a part of because of how long this patient had been a part of our unit's history. And I mean like years, like not even just like eight months, but like years. Um, so personally, no, I, I have never been to a funeral, not that, not that I didn't want to go. Some, some I felt that, that, that I would have probably been a little bit uh, too much for, for me and for the family, like maybe that wasn't the right move, but it was still mm-hmm. kind of like I want to express my my condolences to them. So so that's that, that's a little bit tricky, but um, the distance is certainly a factor because of where some of our patients come from. Um, but yeah. Well, and I feel like there is, you know, there is closure that can come from that for a nurse. Mm-hmm. However, attending a funeral is not about you. No, I mean, if if you go to the funeral, it is because it will bless and honor that family. So in the world that I come from, in the neonatal ICU, one of the things that happens is um, not so. This is this is a human that has never been out in the world. In many cases, they have never left the hospital, and right. so they don't have relationships right with a lot of other people right and in this particular case there had maybe been a grandfather a grandmother and an uncle that had come to visit this child once everyone else had just heard stories had just seen pictures and so the life of this child was experienced in large part by the staff at the hospital right yeah and so for us to go to the funeral I'm getting chills for us to go to the funeral meant that this child mattered, that mm-hmm. this child was important, that this child did exist. Yes. Um, that this child was, was had a personality and looked great in the color blue. And, 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 you know, like we knew things that the family would not have known. And for, right. for so, so for us to show up, um, it helps the family uh, believe that, that this child had had a, a had a personality and and was important. Yeah. So anyway, so so but here I am at the funeral along with several other staff from the hospital who had also primaried. So here I am at this funeral and I am um, 38 weeks pregnant with my third child of which I did not fight 16 years for, right? And um and and people are saying to me a graveside oh my goodness, when are you due? And I thought, I don't even want to talk about it because this seems so unfair. Mm -hmm. And and so at that point, like you talked about, at that point, I needed a break. I I needed a break. Um, And and I also needed to be able to be um, so in love with my own family yeah. And not feel guilty. Yeah. That I absolutely, have them. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So I um so 
it's really, really important that as nurses, we, um, we don't, we don't put all of our eggs in the, I, I, my identity is as a helper. My identity is as a rescuer. I help people Mm -hmm. because, um, there may come a time when you need to shift that a little bit, when, when you need to do nursing in a different way, you need to, um, just care for yourself a little bit more and do that in a way that doesn't threaten, well, who am I? Um, I remember there was a season in my life when I, everything I did was taking care of other people. As a wife, I took care of my husband. As a mother, I took care of my kids. As a nurse, I took care of my patients. I would literally walk in for my one-year gynecological checkup, right, with my OB. I'd walk in, and, and she would come in the door, and I would just start crying. And she'd say, what? She, <laughs> every time, she'd go, what is wrong? And I'd say, in this 10 minutes, it's the only 10 minutes I get in the entire year where someone else takes care of me. Yeah. Where someone right. else says, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right. And so as a nurse, whether it's your mom, whether it's your best friend, whether it's no matter who it is in your life, you need to tell somebody that, Hey, whenever you see me, will you just say, how are you? Because right. no one else does. Right. <laughs> right. That means, I think that, you know, for neonatal ICU, it's you and your coworkers, and you don't often get the responses from the patients, right? Because oftentimes they're babies and crying and silence and things like that are things that you kind of assess for. And you can't expect the parents to, th- to just ask, how are you? It's great if they do, you know, but I feel like a lot of times that's, that's a heavy weight to put on somebody else when they're, when they're going through so much because they're, little person is is in an incubator tube well and let me just say just let me just say that 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 may happen right somebody somebody may say how are you and and you need to be discerning enough to know are they saying it because it's the the kind polite thing to say right and and you're you shouldn't meaningful with it well exactly but and, and, and they might also be saying it because quite honestly, they need some distraction, right? They, they yeah. need something else to think about for five minutes. Yep. Okay. But here, like, this is, this is a few minute conversation. This is not, you're going to pour out all of the drama about you and your boyfriend right now. That is, that is not what this time is for. <laughs> Sorry. I've, I've heard it so many times though. I'm like, Ooh, not the best time to talk about that. Mm-hmm. No, right. <laughs> Right, 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 right. And so, um, so, so know that those conversations need to be had. It is not with your patients. Right. It's in it the break not. room on lunch. Right. You know, certain things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so heavy. I, you know, I, I couldn't imagine having to go through that number one and then having the weight. So, so I don't know how many years ago it was, but we also had a really heavy case of suicide that really hit the staff heavy. And I and I wanted to say this is probably part of that whole trickle moment of, of things that happened, you know, that led to at least my own personal internal conflict with things. And I remember talking to our, our clergy who came to do like a debriefing moment because we really didn't do those. Those are so valuable to have mm-hmm. our people to help us kind of 
kind of trust in what they're going to say and also like let us kind of you know just 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 speak right and i found myself talking to my other nurses because i am at the point of my career where i kind of just can can let the things go if it's really bothering me i now know what to do for it and i know that i need to go probably go punch a bag at the gym or lift heavy weights or go run a half marathon or something that i can have an output with but for so many other people they they, they can't do that and i like to remind people that it's okay to seek forgiveness of yourself and to not judge yourself and to not express judgment of yourself because of something that you didn't do or of something that you didn't say or of something that maybe a weight on your shoulders that in a moment's time will not even matter. And I don't mean that in a very harsh way, but I mean that in terms of you're going to get more patience, right? You're, you're going to have other days and they're going to be good. And they're going to be challenging. And they're going to be all these things. You can't hold on to something that existed so long ago that you that you are judging yourself for and you're holding on to that 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 rock that you can't lift and move to the side right you gotta you gotta lift it move it to the side and kind of like use that rock as the building stones of what your career is built on so that's that's kind of the, a huge lesson that i try to convey to people sometimes they listen sometimes they don't because you know sometimes people are very stuck in, like still in their same mindset that they cannot move forward or they shouldn't move forward and they often look for validation that's the other part right so validation is the it, it's only going to come from you and if you don't have supportive people by your side i mean th that are not going to validate you i think you know that that's a huge thing too you need to have people that do validate what you do as good but i think it's challenging I, I think that you know if you don't have that that's that's probably a huge stepping stone for, for students well and uh it it's it's important to know when it's in, when it's time to get some help and so mm -hmm. one of the things that i always used to tell my orientees um and and this comes in large part because of my pre-hospital experience when you work on an ambulance there is the need for therapy um but uh so, so the threshold that I used to give them, because I, I feel like you need, you need, you need to know, you need to know what, what is, what is something that I can handle, and what is something that I, it, this is not going to be good if I just keep trying to ignore it. Um, oh, yep. So my, my threshold, and I've, I've met this threshold more than once, in my career, <clears throat> is our brain during our REM cycles of sleep um, will work very hard to compartmentalize everything that we've experienced during the day, okay? Mm -hmm. And PTSD occurs when we don't get enough sleep that first sleep, or we don't get enough REM cycles during that first sleep after that experience in order to process. So what happens is, picture your mind like a, a giant filing cabinet. And, and what your mind at night during your sleep does is, is files, files every conversation you had, every interaction you had. And if it was so big that it doesn't have time to file it, it just stays outside of the file cabinet. Yep. And it's there and it's raw and it's easily accessible, which is not healthy for us. So here's how you know, is after, after that first night, you wake up in the morning, or if you're nice, you wake up in the afternoon, <laughs> Yeah. Um, if before you even open your eyes, 
you you see that that scenario you smell the smells you hear the sounds and maybe even you start crying before you're even fully awake then you know that that is now a stuck scenario for you and you're going to need help filing it away okay and the way that i have gotten that help and it's been very successful is a therapy called emdr have you are you familiar have you yeah. ever done emdr listen it's yeah. brilliant okay <laughs> wait EM, emdr stands for eye movement desensitization and reprogramming okay and and not every nurse is going to need this but i feel like if you work in an area where um where it's an ICU or an ER or something like that. Some major significant event happens. Um, this is this is a very valuable tool. So basically, it's a therapy that very quickly can mimic the REM sleep, oh. and while while you're awake, and as you're consciously dealing with the scenario, and and it changes. Basically, it files it away for you, and it changes um, the the raw emotions and thoughts and beliefs that you have associated with it. So I've done this for some some childhood trauma personally. I've done this for some ambulance calls, but I remember I had a um, I had a patient once in the ICU that um, that she she had a she had a, a very rare genetic disorder, the same thing that her older sister had, and she had died of it. But part of what was um, unique about this for her was that she had a trach, but she had, um, <laughs> probably not even going to remember the name of it, um, innominate artery, tracheal innominate artery. Um, anyway, the whole point is that she, she had arteries in her throat near where her trach was that uh, weren't, weren't normal weren't necessarily supposed to be there and um and and they would occasionally break open wow so she would end up with an arterial bleed out of her trach yeah. which is not you don't normally see a lot of blood in the neonatal icu ever yeah. so it, it was appropriate that i was the person to take care of her because from a pre-hospital background i had lots of experience with blood and and that was okay but but here's the thing that was interesting for me is that um is that there was not a single nurse in my unit who willingly wanted to help me because this was way traumatic for them. Yeah. And so it was a doc and I, and it was, you know, the one doc that is the scariest to work with, the most intimidating, the one that is not going to feel your feelings with you. Um, and so, so I felt very alone and I feel like that's that's a dangerous place to be as a nurse if you've experienced trauma and you feel alone boy then you really have to acknowledge that you're going to need some help with this um and and so I did I I reached out actually to a paramedic friend of mine who would understand because there wasn't a neonatal nurse who wanted to talk to me after because she ended up dying um and and so I reached out and I just said this just happened and it was bloody and it was horrible and I feel alone and I was just able to talk to somebody who totally understands um but then also to realize that that's probably something that I don't want that memory triggered on on random days when I'm doing something completely unrelated this isn't something that I want to have come up and so just to be able to do that. But I think it's, I, I think to know that if you wake up and that is the first thing you see, that is the first thing you hear and smell 
and and your emotions are right there with it, know that it will be very hard to uh, deal with that on your own. I think that's such a good point too. So reaching out to others can look like your coworkers. Yep. I often say that when you are in the unit or a unit, not the unit, there's not just one unit, um, but when you're in a unit of a hospital and around the same people, oftentimes you can get the same emotional response that you might not want or that you might not need. And so I often advocate to branch out of the unit and get involved outside of your profession and get involved in different things like chapter meetings and national things and and do other things that still have meaning towards your practice and still have meaning towards what you are as a nurse but know that like it's okay to reach outside of the box and not always have to stay within that paradigm because i feel like that alone perhaps could drive a toxic culture that you don't you don't want so kind of like it's a little bit of what i'm going through right now and i don't mean like a toxic culture at all but I mean, my unit is, I love working for my unit. I recently uh, volunteered to work in, in our COVID units. And it is such a refreshing change to like, just to be there and not have the same people and learn something new and keep my, my mind open and just different things. Sometimes you might need that. Sometimes that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm having a good time learning something new. I still love my unit. I, I still love my coworkers. But it's just, you know, for the, for the moment, it's it's not only fulfilling for me to go serve someone else, but it's also fulfilling for me to go learn something else and, and challenge my assumptions on different nursing patterns and different nursing culture that I once thought of and, and try to change my perception of that. And I think that, you know, for new students wanting to go into a particular practice, I always say give it five years to decide what you want to do with your life, because those five years you could you could learn so much. You could experience so much and you're going to drive value in whatever you have to do next for your next step in, in your career, whatever that may be. So I think those things, I think, you know, having, having ways. So for you with EMDR, for someone else, it's mindfulness-based stress reduction. For other people, it's going to run. For others, it's escaping somewhere and going for a trip, right? That resets their brain and helps you compartmentalize and decompartmentalize and kind of like your computer where you, where you, clean all that stuff out helps bring you back to your your ground level part of what you are as a nurse or what you are as a computer engineer or whatever it is right um that that is that is the i think the number one reminder for people and honestly you know there's a lot of things going on right now of how one can spark joy within their practice, right? There's a whole bunch of things right now of like sparking joy in there. Everyone for, at like the first like month this is going on was like, what does it even mean? That somebody came up with that, that what is this even, you know, like people thought that they were like, I don't even know what this even means. Like what, what are you talking about? Cause it's another thing that somebody comes up with in terms of like an acronym or like a word or catchphrase, <laughs> right? Like something like that, that like, it's great. It's another thing, right? But but when I tend to reflect on what that means, um, you need you need to search for it. But you, but you don't do it in the cliche moment of, of of it, right? You don't like all of a sudden just do it on your unit, like find joy, hooray. You know, it's got to be something that 
you work for and brings you identity. So just like you were talking about how we can't be givers all the time and we can't be rescuers all the time and we can't even be takers all the time, but we need to find that balance within the two things that helps to spark joy in your patients. Just like bringing flowers to your home, home person. Uh, and just like when I like to shape my patients' faces, like those things bring me joy in my practice. And maybe that'll change. Maybe I'll hate it one day and be like, you know what? I'm done shaving faces. <laughs> I don't know that it's going to change anytime soon because I really do like it. But um, but those things certainly help spark joy. And even like getting out there. So like going to a Central Oils Nurses Conference sparked joy, right? And it was like, yes, like this is what, this is what we need to do. We need to talk about things and do other things. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so, so... Okay. I have this thought in my head now. Um, speaking of, speaking of speaking, what what made you decide to all of a sudden one day say, you know what, I'm going to talk about organic chemistry, the thing that you stated that you 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 failed at. What what four times? Four times. She yelled over four by the way, people. <laughs> she failed nursing. She failed organic chemistry four times. I fell out of nursing school twice. You know what? The more you know. But so what What prompted you to really say to yourself, you know, I'm going to present this in front of an international audience. But I think it was like 7,000 people. Yeah. Uh, both in person and virtually and and own it. And by the way, yeah. if people that are listening, if you hadn't, if you haven't, um, I don't, I don't know if, if, if we can still purchase those things. But if you if you have not listened to this conference, the first year conference, I'm not saying the second conference is any less great the first year conference and just deliver this organic chemistry presentation. And I thought I'm going to be bored out of my mind. This is going to be some other, the same <laughs> conference that I've been to. This is going to be stupid. It was phenomenal. Cause you know, you think organic chemistry, you're like, oh, and I, and I don't blame anybody, but maybe the conference organ organizers of other conferences just don't think outside the box like this conference did. But if you, if you can pay and, and like download and listen to that, it is so good. And will probably make so much sense because of how you delivered it and how the commonalities between organic chemistry and essential oils are. But what literally made you decide to do that? Yeah. So sciencenotstories.com is where you can find both of our presentations, uh, both years. Um, so actually what happened is uh, I, I spoke at a regional event in Chicago and my topic was women's health and and women's health is a very and you know women's health is a very kind of vague you know almost a catchphrase it feels like some days um but but i like to speak on kind of uh estrogen and and xeno hormones and what do synthetic hormones actually do in our body and and how to get rid of them things like that how to solve symptom problems and so I was speaking at this event, and, and this is something I'm very passionate about because I had my own struggles with PMS and, and not liking who I was a few days of the month, every month. And so uh, somebody there live streamed my, my presentation and somebody else saw it, right? Mm -hmm. And so this, this somebody else was the person putting on this essential oil nurse conference. 
And she reached out to me and she said, Hey, I, I saw what you presented and it was great. I'd like to talk to you further about presenting at our conference. Well, to me, what I heard was, I would like you to present the exact same thing at our conference. And I thought, perfect. <laughs> I know how to do this and clearly I'm good at it. And, and let me back up a minute and just say that not every nurse is meant to be on a stage teaching, right? right? You either have the gift to teach or you don't. And if you don't, you have other gifts that I don't have. So don't compare, don't look at what somebody else is able to do and think that it's any better than what you're able to do, okay? All right, so, um, so she reached out to me and she said, I'd like to talk to you about teaching. Um, what other topics do you have? And I said, none, <laughs> none, I don't, I don't, you know, and I said, well, what are you looking, what topics are you looking at having? And she, you know, listed off some things and, and we were, we were not getting essential oils into our hospital. Like I certainly couldn't teach on that. We were having the opposite look. And so, so she, she mentioned, we're going to have someone speak on the chemistry. And I was like, well, that person must be brilliant. I mean, clearly smarter than me. I failed the class four times. And I said, oh, who's doing that? And she goes, nobody, do you want to? And I thought, wait, you don't have high standards for this conference, do you? <laughs> like, <laughs> you are clearly putting together a ragtag band of people if you are willing to have me do this. And so at that point, I thought, man, she really, she really wants somebody to be able to present it in a way that's, that, that people are excited about learning it, maybe it's not so much the, the content expert because let's face it, you had that initial reaction because most of the people who teach chemistry are brilliant yeah. and miserable and, to listen to. And boring. <laughs> like, mm. Right. So I thought, okay, if I can, if I can, because these are facts. I mean, chemistry is facts. It's not necessarily my personal experience. Anybody can learn the facts. My challenge is going to be to present it in a way that that matters and present it in a way that that people can apply it and present it in a way that um, that that people people uh, can do something with the information. And so again, we're back to that whole like giving birth in a living room challenge. People throw a challenge out at me and it's game on. So I do it everywhere. Let's do this. Right, exactly. <laughs> So I said, uh, I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I, if, if, if you, if you have faith in me, right. She had faith in me first. I didn't, I certainly wasn't going to offer this, but she had faith in me first. And so, um, so I learned the content and I figured out how would I want to learn it? How, how could somebody teach this to me in a way that I would be excited about? And, um, and that's what I did. And, and the cool thing was, is in the process, I learned so much. So I got off stage and I swear the first words out of my mouth were, listen, oh my gosh, next year you have to have somebody teach on like bacteria and viruses and like how <laughs> essential oils are effective against bacteria and viruses. And she goes, I think you found your topic for next year. And I thought, I'm never going to learn to shut my mouth. And so sure enough, it's so true. sure enough, the very next year came around and she goes, so you're teaching on like antiviral and antibacterial properties, right? And I was like, I guess. And so I was smart enough this past year 
that now I want to learn about the whole like inflammation cascade, mm-hmm. how are essential oils actually anti-inflammatory? And I said, now I'm not teaching on this, but this is what I want to learn. Find somebody else. Um, so, so I think, I think just recognizing that, um, that if you, if, if someone tells you, my gosh, you're so good with parents, when you teach them how to give a bath, you're so good at it. Like, my goodness, listen to what they're saying and know that that is a gift that you can take into many other places of your life and into your career. So it literally went from being able to teach swim lessons really well when I was in high school to standing on a stage and teaching something that I failed four times. <laughs> I I have it. I I hear you. I I have a kid. Sorry, <laughs> I have a kid who said, "You you told me you would take us swimming. You told me you." So anyway, that's our cue, Nicole. That is our cue. The nine-year-old has spoken. Full time, mommy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So. I don't think I've discussed this yet with, with any of my podcast listeners and listeners guests that we, so we, we talked about this conference. I had no clue what I was doing first time I walked on that stage. I told Anne this last year. You faked it so well. I faked it. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to just do it and bring the boom. I was so nervous. I remember being so nervous before giving a 20 minute talk. First of all, because I could speak for hours on end, right? Hello. Our podcast is going right. And <laughs> I could talk about what everyone was talking about ad nauseum. Somebody said 20 minutes, Nicole, and I was like, oh, <laughs> how do I talk about all of these things in 20 minutes and get people excited and have people understand? They were so helpful, though, in nailing down like my three things. You know, like these are the three things we're going to focus on. This. I was like, oh, okay, I could do that now. I didn't have to go you know, everywhere with this with this topic. And you know, that's that's something that I presented the first year. And then the second year, they gave me like three hours to talk <laughs> on two different things. And that was phenomenal. I was like, you guys, you guys could be good this year. Because that was, that was great. Three hours, love that. Like back to back too. It wasn't even like you did an hour here, an hour and a half here, and another half hour here. It was three hours, two back to back presentations. That was, well, the challenge was great. And and I think that's that's the lesson is that the 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 person can be you, right? Yep. If your yep. unit needs a representative for whatever committee, and they it and can they be you. Do it up, yeah. If if you if if something excites you, offer. Just say I'll do it. I might need help I've, with these things because I've never done this before, but mm-hmm. I'll do it. Yeah don't don't think that um don't think that you have to wait to get to a certain place don't, don't right? wait. Don't you wait. have to you have to you know if if somebody thinks that you're too young too inexperienced too whatever they'll tell you but at least at that point they'll know that you're interested and willing to serve yeah. and that that matters yeah yeah, I think I think that that's the overall thing of of what you were talking about with practicing with your heart wide open. Mm. Be be there with your heart wide open, ready to serve, right, and ready to to do things and not waiting and not having a hes- hesitancy to say, you know what, I think I could do this. Or listening to others when they say, I don't think that this is going to be the right fit for you, but perhaps this is this is a good fit for you, right? Like how many yeah. times, you know, have, have you thought to yourself like some, some people want to go 
directly, I'm using like practical experiences here, like directly to the P score, directly to CRNA score, directly to this. And it's like, it might not be for you, right? And this has nothing to do with, with you, but discovering your skills and your skill set and all that stuff takes so much time. So for instance, I don't think that I could ever be a nurse educator in a traditional health system hospital setting. I don't think that that would be my, my ex expertise, but I love teaching. I love getting in front of people now and, and hanging out with people and talking about things. I love doing podcasts and teaching people. I love putting together, you know, um, courses on things. So there's, there's certain things that you can do that push, push your trajectory to help get you there, you know, and, and you can still do things. You still talk about NPs and CRNAs and whatever else you didn't think that you were meant to do, but in a different realm, you know, and maybe perhaps years later, it will be for you. I don't know. But the, the fact of the matter is to always listen, to always recheck your moral compass, I, I believe, to know what you are actually passionate about and where you find you're going, where, you, where your heart is open towards, and then coming back and, and centering yourself and saying, yes, this is, this is like for me. I think, I think that's so, so not discussed in nursing schools and, and clinicals and all that stuff. And people really struggle with that. When they say, when I say, them, well, what kind of nursing do you want to do? And they're like, I don't know. Right. That's cool. You figure it out. You know, like you experience things and figure out where you think nursing is pointing you in what direction and then, and then, and then start from there. You know? Yeah. Yep. So important. All right, Ann. I think your kids want to go swim. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for like saying fantastic. <laughs> podcast today i'm like okay let's go talk about things i love this uh we'll, we'll have to do this again because this was only an hour and 15 and you're like well this will last for hours and i was like okay like whatever like i got time your kids are like nope we want to go swim now mom your podcast is not not important right now mm. i know that's okay well any other time let's pick yeah. it back up yeah and we'll have to discuss uh with cammy and um god damn it names are not coming to my head right now julie julie and other people that would like to join in because i think that would be just like phenomenal to have like even even like how they how a group talk about how people broke their barriers with us would be phenomenal yep i think that was good today so all right Anne. thank you so much it was a joy i will talk to you later have a good day bye